You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. FBI is investigating incidents on its networks. Frebness backdoors Microsoft servers. Proxy shell vulnerabilities are used to install a crypto miner. Havoc's post-exploitation framework. Atlassian discloses a breach. German airports sustain a cyber incident. And Aspen Institute report concludes that cyber assistance benefits Ukraine. The U.S. announces disruptive technology strike force. Robert M. Lee from Dragos on the value of Capture the Flag events. Our guests are Commander Brandon Campbell of U.S. Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command and Captain Steve Correa, Commanding Officer of Naval Network Warfare Command. And CISA releases 15 ICS advisories. The CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, February 17th, 2023. CNN reports that the U.S. FBI has contained and is investigating an incident that affected systems the Bureau uses to investigate child sexual exploitation. The FBI has been tight-lipped, saying only, this is an isolated incident that has been contained. As this is an ongoing investigation, the FBI does not have further comment to provide at this time. Symantec has spotted a new strain of malware called Frebness that's being deployed against targets in Taiwan. Frebness abuses a troubleshooting feature of Microsoft's Internet Information Services to install a backdoor. Symantec explains, The technique used by Frebness involves injecting malicious code into the memory of a DLL file related to an IIS feature used to troubleshoot and analyze failed web page requests. This allows the malware to stealthily monitor all HTTP requests and recognize specially formatted HTTP requests sent by the attacker, allowing for remote code execution. In order to use this technique, an attacker needs to gain access to the Windows system running the IIS server by some other means. In this particular case, it is unclear how this access was achieved. Symantec adds that Frebness can be used to proxy commands to systems in a network that aren't accessible from the Internet. The researchers conclude, no files or suspicious processes will be running on the system, making Frebness a relatively unique and rare type of HTTP backdoor seen in the wild. Morphosec is tracking a stealthy malware campaign that's distributing new proxy shell miner crypto miners, 
Proxy Shell Miner exploits the Proxy Shell vulnerabilities in Microsoft Exchange Server, which Microsoft issued patches for in 2021. The malware uses the vulnerabilities to gain initial access, then installs the crypto miner. The researchers note that while crypto miners are often viewed as a somewhat benign form of malware, the access gained by attackers can be used to launch more damaging attacks. Zscaler observed the Havoc framework being deployed against a government organization last month, and the security firm has published a detailed analysis of how the framework operates. Bleeping Computer says that among its most interesting capabilities, Havoc is cross-platform, and it bypasses Microsoft Defender on up-to-date Windows 11 devices using sleep obfuscation, return address stack spoofing, and indirect syscalls. It's worth noting that, like Cobalt Strike and other similar tools, Havoc is intended to be used by penetration testers. Like most pen testing tools, however, it can be abused by threat actors. In what appears to be a case of stolen credentials, Atlassian says that unauthorized parties obtained access to sensitive corporate information, including employee records. CyberScoop reports that the SiegdSec criminal group claims it's begun leaking the stolen data. The gang said earlier this week, We are leaking thousands of employee records as well as a few building floor plans. These employee records contain email addresses, phone numbers, names, and lots more. According to Bleeping Computer, the criminals obtained the data via Envoy, a third-party app Atlassian uses to manage its offices. Neither Envoy nor Atlassian were hacked, in the sense of having malware deployed against them or by having their systems compromised by attackers using technical means. It appears that an Atlassian employee's Envoy credentials were obtained and then used to access the app. Atlassian and Envoy are cooperating on their response to the incident. Reuters reports that German airports have sustained an unspecified cyber incident believed to be a distributed denial-of-service attack. There is little information available and no attribution yet, but Deutsche Welle points out that the attack bears a strong resemblance to an earlier DDoS attack the Russian auxiliaries of Kilnet mounted against German airports. A study by the Aspen Institute concludes that international assistance rendered to Ukraine for its cybersecurity has blunted the effects of Russian cyber offensives. The Institute looked at the record compiled by the Cyber Defense Assistance Collaborative for Ukraine, which has given four kinds of assistance, intelligence analysis, support and sharing, licenses, tactical services, and advising. The report says cyber defense assistance in Ukraine is working, The Ukrainian government and Ukrainian critical infrastructure organizations have better defended themselves and achieved higher levels of resiliency due to the efforts of CDAC and many others. The report concludes, however, that CDAC's work is not yet done and that Ukraine will require support through the next phases of Russia's war. U.S. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco yesterday announced the formation of a disruptive technology strike force, an interagency collaboration between the U.S. Department of Justice and Commerce. Its aim will be to deny hostile governments tactical advantage through the acquisition, use, and abuse of disruptive technology, innovations that are fueling the next generation of military and national security capabilities. CyberScoop reports that the new strike force is intended as an evolutionary development of the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., 
the mechanism that's hitherto been used to protect U.S. technology from hostile foreign poaching. The disruptive technology strike force is expected to bring enforcement out of the brick-and-mortar period in which CFIUS was drafted and into the present age of cyberespionage. CISA yesterday released 15 industrial control system advisories. They cover systems by Siemens, SubIoT, Delta Electronics, and BD Alaris. Operators, check your systems and, as always, apply updates per vendor instructions. And finally, Monday is the U.S. federal holiday of President's Day, and the CyberWire won't be publishing on the 20th. We'll be back as usual on Tuesday. To those of you who also observe the holiday, on behalf of all of us at N2K Networks, enjoy the long weekend. And for those of you who are outside of the U.S., enjoy the regular weekend. We'll see you again on Tuesday. Coming up after the break, Robert M. Lee from Dragos on the value of Capture the Flag events. Our guests are Commander Brandon Campbell of the U.S. Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command and Captain Steve Correa, Commanding Officer of Naval Network Warfare Command. Stay with us. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire.
The mission statement of the United States Navy is to recruit, train, equip, and organize to deliver combat-ready naval forces to win conflicts and wars while maintaining security and deterrence through sustained forward presence. In today's world, achieving that mission means the U.S. Navy must maintain a high level of cybersecurity in order to protect its data, networks, and systems from malicious actors. My guests today are two distinguished naval officers on the front lines of that critical mission. Commander Brandon Campbell is Operations Director at Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command. Captain Steve Carrera is Commanding Officer of Naval Network Warfare Command. Commander Campbell leads off our conversation. Again, I'm the Operations Director at Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command. And essentially, um, at NCDOC is what we call it, um, we are chartered and responsible for protecting and defending the Navy's global array of, of networks across um, 180 networks, um, to be exact. And um, in, in that responsibility, we, we protect and defend against malicious cyber activity and advanced persistent threats. And we do that 24-7, 365. And then um, if there's actually an incident or an actual compromise on a Navy network, we're then also responsible for doing the risk analysis, assessing it, and then when needed, expelling the adversary from our networks. Captain Carrera, how about you? Naval Network Warfare Command's mission is to operate and secure uh, Navy networks and communication systems. Uh, so we do that uh, in our ashore uh, enterprise networks uh, and the ashore portion of our float networks. And we're also designated under Fleet Cyber Command as the commander of Task Force 1010, uh, which we have tactical control of the uh, command and control communications uh, uh, commands within the Navy. So I'd love to get the perspective from both of you. You know, the Navy's network has some uniquely difficult defensive challenges. When you think about everything that's on your network, you know, from data centers, office buildings, and then, of course, ships and airplanes, and the global distribution of all of that. And then also, you're dealing with many levels of classification. That's a big problem. And how do you come at that? Dave, uh, I'll start first. So that's uh, that's part of the reason why the Navy's uh, taken a more uh, agile approach, and we've moved to a more uh, zero-trust approach, is because of those complexities. You know, I think uh, for the longest time, we tried to keep uh, the adversary uh, outside outside the wa- walls of the castle, if you will. Uh, but we've realized over time that that's uh, uh, difficult, if not impossible, in a lot of cases. So we've increasingly a- adopted a zero-trust approach where we assume the adversary is inside the castle walls, and we've put controls in place to uh, guard the data and uh, information systems uh, from, from those adversaries. To dovetail a little bit on that... Um you know, the, the Department of Defense recently just issued late last year its uh, overarching first ever zero trust strategy. And like Captain Korea just said, you know, the very first sentence of that strategy states that our adversaries are in our network. Um, so that's a huge that, that's a huge uh, paradigm shift in how we look at, evaluate and design you know, resilient networks, resilient and secure networks. So. In parallel with that, a part of that strategy, and the, the Department of Defense has um, underlaid and um, implemented seven essential pillars for its zero trust strategy. And then with each one of those pillars, there are sub activities, 152 to be exact, and, and set a very lofty goal of achieving zero trust capability strategies and principles no later than 2027. 
And the, the Navy is well on its way um, and, and helping pave the way towards those capabilities, aggressively modernizing its IT, as well as, as implementing cloud-native cyber defense and cyber secure tools. So it's been a really exciting time, and I'm really excited to see how the next you know, uh, five years or so as we, as we modernize and get to 2027, what, what the changes of our landscape and how we design and, and secure our networks are going to look like. You know, there's that old uh, cliche, and uh, forgive me for using it, but, uh, you know, a battleship doesn't turn on a dime. Um, do you all feel as though you have the ability to be nimble to to react to the things that are coming at you? With Again, with an organization as large uh, in breadth, breadth and depth as the U.S. Navy. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one, uh, Brandon. If uh it's very perceptive, uh, but I, you know, in my in my career, that's generally been my experience. But I think it's it's changed recently, and so we uh, during the pandemic, uh, because of leadership at the top, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Weiss, uh, Ms. Youngs Liu at uh, PO Digital, so our acquisition partners, and operationally on on our side, um, myself and uh, my predecessor uh, Captain Jody Grady decided made a conscious decision to move out uh, quickly on implementing cloud once we had a, a secure implementation. And we did so in, in, the, in the image of uh, DevOps uh, or Agile, uh, and our current framework is scaled Agile framework, so safe. And uh, we are definitely taking a more Agile approach. And because of that, uh, we're working together with ac- acquisition partners and engineering uh, in a DevOps type of model where we are able to uh, make uh, Agile decisions make configuration changes in that DevOps type of approach. And for me, it's been, it's been a revolution, uh, you know, very much getting away from the traditional waterfall approach where we took, where we took a, a long time to write a requirement. And then, then the engineers went back into the engineering spaces uh, and came out with a product that uh, wasn't uh, to anyone's satisfaction on the ops world and a little bit dissatisfaction on the engineering world too. So we're in a different pl- place right now where we're all working together toward a common goal uh, and it's refreshing to see. Commander Campbell, I, I'm curious uh, what your pitch is for folks who may be considering a career uh, with the Navy. We have a lot of uh, listeners who are students coming up. Um, there are unique challenges there of joining the service, but also some really uh, amazing opportunities. Yeah, there, there, there really are, you know, and, and I'm um, wrapping up my my two-decade career um, here in the next few months. So I, I have done some reflection on, on that personally. And, and it is an exciting time, um, especially in the, in the cyber field, the cyber community um, at, at large. Um, there's a large modernization effort going on a, across the Navy. You know, I've, I've had the, the unique opportunity through my career, through working with SEAL teams to, um, to being deployed on ships, aircraft, and, and the whole host, the whole gamut. Um, so, so it's, it's always exciting. It's always challenging. Um, there are a lot of educational benefits and opportunities as, if you just take advantage of them. Um, so I, I would encourage, encourage anyone out there who's, who's looking for a way to, to, to get a little of excitement, to do a very, very important mission for our, for our Navy and for the national security of, of, of our nation and, and really just kind of em, embrace it and, and, and know that it's going to be long. Sometimes it's going to be hard and challenging, but at the end of it, um, you absolutely will, will, will be better off for it um, and then walk away from the rest of your life knowing that, that you've served your nation and you've done something really unique and special. So, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited and um, to what the future holds 
and, and especially as this advancing career in this industry and in, in the cyber defense and cyber cybersecurity space and uh, and where it's going to go here in the next the next five five plus years. You know, Captain Korea, we have um, quite a few senior members of industry and government who listen to our show. I'm curious if you had the opportunity to ask, is, is there any support or assistance that you would request from those folks? Actually, Dave, the, the support has been, uh, has been great to the approach that we've taken. And Brandon mentioned this earlier, it, the, the leadership has, been, uh, has really leaned in on this and, uh, and, and they've, uh, they've put them, their money where their mouth is because they've really, really supported us on, on uh, uh, various approaches that we've taken. Uh, but also on the on the common decisions that we've making uh, we've made to um, secure the network, uh, and in some cases, you know, we've taken a pretty aggressive approach on security, which uh, you know can have impact uh, in some cases. But they've, uh, you know, we've kind of all worked on that together and finding that right balance. So uh, I just want to say thank you, actually, to leadership for the support. Our thanks to Commander Brandon Campbell, Operations Director at Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command, and Captain Steve Carrera, Commanding Officer of Naval Network Warfare Command. We appreciate them taking the time for us. We'll be publishing an extended special edition of this conversation this coming Monday. Look for it in your CyberWire podcast feed or on our website. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Robert M. Lee. He is the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. Uh, you and your colleagues there at Dragos uh, had your uh, Dragos Industrial Security Conference back in November of last year, uh, and that included a capture the flag element. And I wanted to touch on that today, uh, why you think that's an important thing to include in an event like the one you held and what you and the participants get out of it. Yeah, so, so capture the flags in general are a fantastic form of training and, and sort of testing out those skills. Sometimes it's testing, sometimes it's more training. If you look at like the SANS CTFs as an example, they're, they're net wars, um, ones that they run at their conferences. The, like level one and level two are very educational. Click on it, get a hint, you'll get the answer, but it's, it's more teaching you how to do it. Level three is, hey, you know, this is harder, you, this is now kind of, testing out your skills in level four or level five is just like, we're, we're going to kick in your teeth. Like, good luck. You know, it's just kind of that, that process, which is both educational and testing, which makes it both fulfilling and challenging. Um, but people leave with better skills uh, than just sort of the, the academia or theory of it. Uh, and so in the same, same mindset, we want to do that, of course, on the industrial control system side. And when I came into this field, it was impossible. There was no ICSETFs, even in the government circles, for me to get access to industrial networks that were our own, <clears throat> to, to get access to our own industrial networks uh, was extraordinarily expensive or costly or whatever to be able to go in there and do anything. So it was just inaccessible, which meant it was difficult to bring people in the field because I could lecture to them. We could do PowerPoints. We'd give them a packet capture every now and then of something with like a Raspberry Pi generating Modbus TCB traffic. But that was about it. And that's not very realistic. And so... I love the idea of bringing people into the community. 
course, I want Dragos to be successful and, and live our mission. But the reality is our mission is kind of for not if we don't build a community around us and sort of raise, raise all boats, if you will. Uh, and so we put a lot of effort and time. We've got some phenomenal people on the staff that, that spend a ton of time making these CTFs. We'll generally run two a year, one in combination with the SANS ICS uh, team for their annual summit. Uh, and one at our conference, uh, the, the DISC conference that you mentioned. And it's free. It's accessible. Anybody can access it uh, around the world and online. There's no no cost, no like filtering. And uh, we've got millions of dollars worth of control equipment that we've had to buy uh, just for our own testing and QA purposes and so forth for our, for our technology um, product. And, and so taking those same ranges, setting up actual industrial environments and emulating adversaries against them and releasing packet captures, logic files, memory images, all that kind of fun stuff is just, I think, very, very helpful to the community. When you can get over a thousand people at a time signing up and playing, I think that's good validation as well, that the people are responding well. And what we hope to see is more and more people kind of cross-training into OT security from IT security. And we want to see new people in the field understand that it is accessible and it is a viable career path to go into. From your perspective, what goes into setting up one of these things successfully? I mean, how, how do you blend the different elements, the, the different challenges that people are going to face? Yeah, some of them. So first and foremost, you got to get you got to have the equipment, right? So I, I always get folks are like, "Oh, I want to emulate this and just do virtual," and like that can work a lot with IT networks. But when you're talking with OT, you really want a physical process to be there. That's what's going to make it a real thing, not just sort of the network protocols. Uh, and so we do have real ranges that we set up. So in our office, as an example, one of our offices as an example, we have a Lego city that's like I think it's like twelve feet by six feet. And it's, uh, you know, train and wind turbines and all sorts of real stuff. And there's racks of equipment behind it monitoring and doing the control of. And another part of the building, we've got a little gas pipeline. Another part of the building, we have a brewery, which is completely just for science and analytics purposes, even sure, though sure. nominal. <clears throat> Anyways, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, so those physical processes then have all the control equipment and networks around them. Um, we have a control engineer on staff that does nothing but maintains all that equipment, um, as if you're talking about a normal production environment. Uh, and then our services and Intel team uh, we'll go through and actually build out the scenarios. Some of them are going to be an emulation of things that we've seen in the past. So emulating Electrum going after Ukraine electric system, as an example, uh, or emulating um, maybe, I think this past year we had an emulation of uh, the Xenotime group going after the Saudi Arabian petrochemical facility using Trisis and trying to modify and blow up the safety system, right? So Stuff like that. But then we also have just kind of Oh, that would be neat or kind of hard challenges and release some of the, the um, folks in the team just go get creative and come up with interesting things. But none of it's designed to be gotchas. It's, it's not designed on how hard can we make this. I mean, we could, we could crank it up pretty high. It's designed on what skills are realistic that people should have and can we expose those through the CTF. Now, our CTFs are not hacking kind of uh, hacking an abused word, but like pen test type CTFs. It's not breaking mm. the server. It's digital forensics, network security monitoring, kind of like defensive skill sets, log analysis, et cetera. Uh, and in that way, it also tends to be pretty unique. And um, there's not many of those. I mean, there's more now, but there's, there's not as many of those as there are the, let me set up some stuff and go hack it. Because um, the, I'm going to break into something 
generally at first sounds sexier. You, you spend years doing that and you find out that defense is really, really sexy. Um, but uh, that, again, makes it, makes it something different for folks, gives them access to equipment and environments they just have no chance of having access to otherwise. And again, hopefully just encouraging people to come to the field. And if, if not, at least having a better understanding of it. You know, being an IT security person at a manufacturing company or data center or whatever, having a better understanding of what's happening in those control networks broadens out people's expertise. And even if they're not going to do the OT security work themselves, at least they understand it more now and kind of collaborate better inside their companies. And having this sort of visibility, as you all are able to observe the folks who are participating here, as they're you know banging away on things and, and trying to solve these, are, are there aha moments for you all along the way? Um, maybe, but we don't really do that. So because it's not them banging away, because we give them the files and the data and everything else, they take it home with them and work on it and submit the answers. So we don't, we, we, as a company strategy in general, we really try not to hold on to people's data or insights or monitor people. Uh, and so, like, I mean, we're a giant target if you think about it from like almost every state actor out there that wants to do industrial probably would like to know what we're working on. Uh, yeah. And so the last thing I want to do is be holding on to people's data or insights. Uh, so we don't we don't really see that. I'm sure there would be aha moments because there's some just really brilliant people and really brilliant talent across the world. Um, but unfortunately, and by design, we don't watch them do it. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, Robert M. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. That's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Wendy Nather from Cisco. We're discussing their work on cracking the code to security resilience. Lessons learned from the latest Cisco Security Outcomes Report. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Guru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Varmatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.